Leads. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Lead with Purpose podcast. This time we're going to be talking about coaching based on strengths and we have an amazing, amazing, amazing guest with us. Um, she's a great uh, Isaac alumnus. Um, I think you probably met her virtually recently in our PI elections. And yes, you guessed it right. It's Emily Jones from Ryerson University. She's the currently interim um, career and co-op center uh, director. And uh, today she's going to be sharing with us her experience um, back when she was in Isaac, but also mostly after Isaac, what she's doing and how um, she has been learning about the topic of leadership, strengths and coaching based on strengths, leading based on strengths. So we prepared some questions for Emily to answer with us and share um, so you can build your capacity as an MCP in this topic. So, um, of course, Emily, we can start just by maybe you can introduce yourself, share a little bit about you and how are you feeling joining this podcast? Yeah, thanks, Eva. It's great to be here. Always, um, always excited to be back in in an ISIC setting, even if it's just virtual. Um, so yeah, super excited to talk about something that I'm really passionate about, which is strengths based leadership, uh, and to offer that to the ISIC network as well. Great, thank you so much, Emily. I'm sure the MCPs are also super excited and keen to listen and to understand more about the topic. So I think we can just go ahead with the first question, which is. Tell us about you and like how you were like in your Isaac experience. When did you join? Why did you stay for as long as you did? And um, where, what were you doing? Anything that you want to mention about that when you were in Isaac? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm, I guess the, my Isaac story starts from where I'm from. I'm from a very small town on the east coast of Quebec. Uh, and so when I went to university, when I had the opportunity of going to university, the first thing I wanted to do was to leave the country and to see things outside of, you know, beyond the small town that I, that I grew up in. Uh, so I joined Isaac in the early 2000s uh, in LC, Ottawa in Canada. Um, and yeah, I joined because I was super eager to whether study abroad or go abroad. And I saw the ISIC flyer and I thought that was a great opportunity to do that. Actually, the first role that I had in ISIC was um, an, an intern pickup. I was the only person in my LC with a car. And so I had to pick up interns at the airport. Um, and the intern that I was picking up, uh, her name is Bansi and she's from Botswana. And um, she was coming to spend a year in Ottawa. And uh, we became really, really great friends. And so, you know, from that first airport pickup, I, I built a lifelong friendship, but then also really understood the impact of ISEC because I got to meet this person who was coming from a completely different country um, and to support her in her integration in, in Canada. Um, so that really sort of sparked my interest in ISEC and I became LCP. I, I think I did a couple of years as LCP. And then once I graduated, uh, I wanted to go on exchange. So my, the purpose of joining ISEC was for me to go away. And I wanted to do that as soon as I graduated. And so, um, I took up an internship in South Africa, uh, and then moved from South Africa to an internship in Nigeria. Um, so those two internships were, you know, uh, have have had a huge impact on my career, on my career direction, on on me personally as well. Um, and it was such a, yeah, I don't use this term lightly, but such a transformative experience for me um, to be able to experience living and working in in completely different contexts. Um, just as I, I finished up my internship in Nigeria, um, a project manager role became available on the MC in Canada, and so I joined the MC. Um, in that project manager role and then uh, applied for MCP. So I was MCP in 2008, 2009 uh, with ISA Canada and then on ISA International 2009, 2010. 
So in total, I spent, I think, seven years in ISEC, which feels like a really long time. Uh, and then after ISEC, I moved to Sydney, Australia, where I spent uh, seven years uh, living and working there. And so I feel like my ISEC experience sort of continued afterwards as well, because I was, I, you know, I left AI and, and ended up in a country that was other than my, my own country. Um, and moved to Australia at the time because my then boyfriend and now husband is obviously an ISACer, like a lot of people in ISEC. And so we wanted to be closer together and uh, things worked out. And I ended up staying there for seven years and then moved back here to Canada four years ago with my Australian husband. That's hilarious, actually, now that I think about it, because Canada and Australia are very far from each other and everywhere else in the world. So mm -hmm. actually you had to choose like, okay, in which extreme of the world are we going to live in? Um, yes. So absolutely. that's really uh, funny as well. Um, but that's great. And then, like uh, you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, that you're very passionate about the topic of um, leadership based on strengths. So maybe you can tell us what's your experience working with strengths based leadership, strengths based coaching, and why does it really matter to you? Like, why are you passionate about it? Yeah. So when, when I was in ISIC, it was a term that we used, but um, I don't think I really understood what strengths based coaching and leadership meant until I um, went through the process that I went through. So when I returned to Canada, I joined uh, the team at the Korean Co-op Center at Ryerson University, and I was leading a project that supported skills development in students who were working while they study. And we wanted to use a strengths-based approach with the students. And so uh, my work supported me to undertake the, the Gallup Clifton Strengths certification process. So that was a, a five-day training uh, to go through the process and become a certified strengths coach. I was really skeptical about it at first. Um, and I'm very skeptical about any of these types of assessments because uh, I think oftentimes they put people into boxes and, and can be maybe more damaging than they are helpful. Um, so I was very skeptical, but through by going through the process and understanding the research behind this assessment tool um, and understanding just how much time Gallup has, has spent developing the tool, I became a bit less skeptical. It also really flipped my understanding of leadership and management. I think that, you know, we've come from systems that are very good at telling us what we're not good at. You know, so you go through school and you're told you're not good at math, you're not good at arts, you're not good at whatever, but we're not told very often what it is that we're good at. And so um, really understanding strengths-based leadership for me was, was uh, also flipping my perspective of what it means to be a strengths-based leader. We are often in systems that are, are fixated on weaknesses, um, and that comes from a really rigid way that we have of seeing what is right and what is wrong, right? We were, um, we're told to do things the certain way because our employer does it that way or because that is the right way to do things. Uh, and what strengths-based leadership and, and strengths-based development does is it identifies that there's many different ways of achieving the same goal and that rather than trying to get everyone to fit into the same box, we should be identifying and amplifying and, and really celebrating the diversity of, of people's strengths and allowing them to play to those strengths, even though they might be different from our own. Um, you know, this, I, this matters to me because I think it really can expand our understanding of what can and, and should be valued, especially in a professional context. And in my current work, I get to support students and in their own career development and figuring out what it is that, that they want to do for the rest of their lives and um, supporting them to understand that what they have Uh, to offer can be valued in um, in many different contexts that you know just because they don't um, 
you know, as, for, as an example, just because they don't write with their right hand and they write with their left hand, that's okay, right? Uh, they they bring their own talents to the world of work and um and I think that world of work can easily lead us to believe that there is only one right approach. And I think at ISIC, like any other organization, can be guilty of that. Certainly in, during my time, we valued certain ways of doing and, and seeing things over others, um, that there was one right way to be professional, one right way to present to, you know, present to other people. And I think this approach really helps us, as I said, recognize that diversity in the strengths and helps us also break out of our own mindset that we need to be everything to everyone, right? That we need to be uh, really good at presenting and, un- and really good at analyzing things and really good at whatever else. Um, it helps us identify what it is that we do really well and, and amplify that. That's actually very, very interesting. And, and I think it also connects to the bigger um, idea. It's like a very tactical way of reaching to the end goal or like the vision of ISAG, you would say, or any organization that wants the world to be a better place, like for everybody to be in peace, for everybody to um, have self-awareness and like, you know, have good, uh, a good self-esteem, confidence, all of these things that are super important for leadership to be developed actually cannot happen when we're not leading based on strengths, right? Because if you're not leading based on strengths, then people are not going to recognize these things in themselves or become confident. Uh, Like on the other side, you have a workforce that is full of inconfident people who don't think that they can do um, the things that they're being delegated and, you know, uh, shy away from getting challenges, et cetera, which is also what happens a lot. Um, So it's very interesting to to hear it also from from your side. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Now, if, if we put it in the perspective of leading teams and like making sure that teams can be successful and achieve and leading them in a good way, like h- how do you think the strength-based coaching or that strength approach becomes the ideal one? Or why do you think that's the most, the best way uh, so that your team can also um, succeed or perform? Yeah. So I think, you know, when, when you do the Clifton Strengths Assessment um it spits out a report that gives you your top five strengths. And I like to think of those top five strengths, you know, the analogy that I use is that they are the five points of a star. And in between each of the points of a star, there are some gaps. And that identifies those areas where we need to lean on other people, right? So I, when I did my, my assessment, it identified what my top five strengths are. But also I know that like my in my bottom strengths, like the least strong strengths for me, um, are things like ideation and futuristic. They're just not things that come naturally to me. And looking back in my career, when I've had to do those things like ideate and be really creative, I've, I really struggled. It was really difficult for me. And so identifying that that's something that, that I'm not naturally talented in, I now know to draw on other people who have that as a talent. And I surround myself with people like that. I think early in my career, I would have shied away from those people uh, and and maybe often argued with them as well. Uh, and now I, I actively seek that out. And the reason I use that analogy is because I think it's important for us to recognize that a really powerful team is one that is, you know, we talk about diversity a lot, but it, it is truly one that is diverse in terms of its strengths as well, right? That there's a, a diversity in strengths. And what we tend to do is we want to surround ourselves with people who have strengths that are similar to ours, 
because then there's no conflict. We all do things the same way. We all see things the same way. And that's a lot easier, right? Um, but the research shows that when we are working from a place of strength and we're surrounded by colleagues who have strengths that are complementary to ours, we're a lot more engaged in the work that we do. So Gallup's done a ton of research on employee engagement. Um, and you can look it up. There's some really interesting reports that they have out there. But th- their research does show that, that when we're working from a place of strength and we're surrounded by colleagues that are uh, complementary to our strengths, we are looking forward to going to work more. We're having more positive interactions with our colleagues. We're having you know, more positive interactions with people around us because we're satisfied with what it is that we're doing. Um, I think, you know, this approach is, is super important in leading teams because it's it's so radically different to how many organizations operate, right? We're still in, in the mindset often of what existed in the 1950s and 1960s, which was around finding the weakest link in the chain and, and fixing that weak link because we were about productivity and efficiency, right? Um, this doesn't look for the weak links, rather it looks to amplify what the strengths are. And so I'm always, you know, really weary of any organization that says that they, they're focused on engaging their employees, but when it comes down to it in practice, they really make it clear that if you don't fit in, you're going to have to find your way out, right? So they're not truly strength-based, rather they're, they're, um, they're saying there's only one way to do things and only one approach that's right. And obviously in all of this, you know, when I do workshops around Clifton Strengths, people always ask, well, I need to know what my weaknesses are. And, and this isn't about ignoring your weaknesses. And, and it's also not about ignoring tasks that you don't enjoy doing, right? Um, I said earlier that ideation is one of my lowest strengths. That doesn't mean that I, I can avoid all opportunities to ideate or to be creative. No, I have to do that in my work all of the time. But it's about creating opportunities to recognize how my top strengths can help me be a better ideator, right? So um, yes, being aware of what your weaknesses are, you're not ignoring them, but you're using your strengths instead of fixating on becoming better at something that's not not naturally your talent. That's actually very smart, like using the things that you're good at um, to overcome those things that you're not so good at and being okay with the fact that we're all good at different things. And Um, what that makes me think as well is that even when everybody is different in a team, um, what that helps also is people think that they're, they feel their contribution is more relevant because they are the only ones providing that, or like it's, they have more ownership towards playing that role. Um, and they know that if they're missing, the team would be missing that, uh, contribution that they're able to provide. Um, what other characteristics would you say describe teams that are coached or led based on strengths? Like if you had to describe like, okay, this is how a team is when you know their leader or their practices or their policies are around strengths-based leadership or strengths-based coaching, um, how would you describe that team? Yeah, I think the the um, examples that you just gave are, are two examples where people feel valued, they feel recognized. Um, I think strengths-based teams are uh, healthily interdependent. So they're not, you know, they're not interdependent to the point of, um, of it being unhealthy, but they recognize that, that they can uh, complement each other. So I think that that's, that's one key thing with strengths-based teams is that they recognize that they, um, they have complementary strengths. Uh, there's also a lot less competition within the team. So people aren't necessarily jostling for power because they feel valued and recognized as who they are. They're not trying to prove themselves to be a certain way. Um, and, you know, they're more effective as teams as well, effective in, in whatever way that they're trying to, 
to uh, measure effectiveness because when we're, we're working from a place of strength, we're using a lot less effort to be really, really good at what we're doing, right? So the, um, the exercise that we often do in these workshops to help people understand what's the difference between working from a place of strength versus from a place of weakness um, is we get someone to, or we get participants in the workshop to uh, write a statement with their dominant hand and then write a statement with their non-dominant hand. When you're writing from your dominant hand, it's something that comes so naturally to you. You don't even have to think about it. You're coming from a place of strength. When you're writing from your non-dominant hand, you have to use other senses. You have to concentrate. It takes a whole lot more effort. So you translate that into working from a place of strength versus having to work on something when you're not coming from a place of strength, right? So overall, if a team's coming from a place of strength, they're putting a lot less effort to get greater results, which means they have a lot more time to do other things as well, right? They they have maybe better work-life balance or work-life integration because they're not spending so much time on work. Um, and I think really what when I see strengths-based teams, I, I see them as prioritizing what's right for the organization and moving forward on that. When they have conflict, it's healthy conflict. It's not conflict that will, you know, break the team or create conf- um, create breaks within the team. Um, there's, there's a lot less ego involved. That makes sense because there's no need to compete. Everyone is good because they're all good for different <laughs> things. Wow. Exactly. And actually, I'm just thinking how, like, that can shape a whole organization, right? Because, like, if everyone adopted that culture that can shift so many things in the organization overall. Because if people don't have ego, if people are not, or I mean, they would always have some ego, we're humans, but if people are not coming from a place of ego primarily, or um, they're not competing or worried about proving something, and they're also acting from a place of abundance, right? Not from a place of uh, lacking or scarcity. So that, that, and it's incredible how that could even influence the way we see strategy, the way we approach problems, like, it's it's very interesting and it's I never thought about it from the perspective of um, work life balance but it does make sense like people who are working based on strengths can get more work lesson done more work done in less time hence they can have more time for themselves so that's also amazing you wanted to add something to that yeah and I think you know if I look at my and I I'd encourage anyone who's listening to do the same like if you look at your own career path and experiences that you've had. I, I can now recognize when I was not working from a place of strength, I would come home and just complain about work all the time. In fact, it was, it was almost all I would talk about with friends or with family because I, it was really frustrating and was taking up so much space in my life um, and so much unnecessary effort. And looking back now, I can see, yeah, that I was in an organization that you know, you had to fit into a certain mold or you didn't really, it didn't, it didn't work out for them. Um, and so not only was it exhausting for me, but it was also exhausting for everyone else around me. They, you know, they didn't want to hear about my conflict at work all of the time. And so, you know, when I, when you don't have to deal with that, then you're not bringing that into your personal life either. Right. So you had, you're creating more space for, for other things that are a lot more meaningful. That's super cool. Thank you for sharing that as well. And I think it's good for people to kind of assess and decide also now when you're MCP, right, you're thinking into next jobs, next steps, what am I doing after and what's important for me? So that's definitely something good to to take note of. And talking about MCPs, like how do you think MCPs can start working on, on this, like on the process of learning about the topic more, even start practicing, like how, what are the advice or tips that you would give them if they want to work on that? 
Yeah. So um, the first would be to complete their Clifton Strengths assessment if they haven't already, um, and then to read through the reports that they have access to on the portal. The reports are, are really rich in terms of information that they provide. Um, Gallup has a ton of organ of um, uh, organizational resources, but also individual resources to use around strengths-based leadership, strengths-based development. Uh, one that I particularly like, if you're into podcasts, is called Called to Coach. Um, and it's a podcast that uh, that interviews coaches that are working from a strengths-based place. And they talk about challenges that they're encountering in, in their workplace. And every time I listen to one of these, I pick up you know a few nuggets of knowledge that I can apply to my own work. So that one I, I've, I really quite like. Um, there's another Gallup podcast called Theme Thursday, where um, every Thursday for a certain period in the year, they'll look at one of the 34 strength themes and really do a deep dive in understanding what those themes are um, and how they might show up for people. So those two are, are good places to start. And then there's a ton of other um, resources on the Gallup website. And there's one report in particular that Gallup put out. If you're interested in uh, performance development, performance management, um, they put out a report a couple of years ago called Re-Engineering Performance Management. Um, and it's really a, a white paper on um, proposing this really radical approach to how you manage performance in organizations, that it's not just something that you sit down with your boss and do once a year, that it's a continuous process, that it's done through continuous um, coaching. Um, uh, and it really amplifies the role of those middle-level managers in, yes, making sure that strategy gets enacted, but also making sure that people are coached and supported in a way that uh, that is strengths-based and that resonates with them. That makes sense. And like in your experience, like maybe working with organizations or even in your own university, um, what do you think have been some good examples that you've seen um, of like strengths-based leadership or coaching practices or like already implemented? Like what are some good examples that you've seen that you would like to share with us about? Um, there's there's two people that come to mind that I've worked with previously. I, I worked at a university for some time in Australia and um, the two leaders that I worked with at the time were just, uh, to me, examples of exemplary strengths-based leaders. They wouldn't have called it that. They probably would have called it something else, but they both were so great at spotting talent and at letting everyone's talent shine in a very different way. And, and how they did that is they set very clear bottom line must do. So, you know, making it sure, making it, making sure that everyone was clear in terms of, you know, this is what's expected of you um, and what your, your expected outcomes are in very, very clear ways. And then they would sort of stand back and observe what your individual strengths are and harness those strengths. So they would give you perhaps projects or assignments that really allowed you to amplify those strengths. So those, those two women to me stand out as ex exemplary strengths-based leaders that, you know, to this day, I still have in my both personal and professional network. Um, and I feel like working under them for a couple of years, I learned so much about um, recognizing and valuing diversity and strengths. Uh, in terms of the work that I, I do now, we um, have a strengths-based approach to our performance development with our team um, at the university. And so within our unit, we uh, we let people set their own work plans for the year or their, their development plans, and we try to do it from a strengths-based place. So we help people identify um, what projects they want to work on, what professional development opportunities they want to take that align with yeah, their professional development goals, but also their own strengths. And um, we've done things like um, allow folks that are 
perhaps more in a, an administrative role to contribute to some strategic projects because they have strategic strengths that they don't use in their day-to-day. Um, we've been able to foster some better collaboration by pairing people to work together on things where they have strengths that complement each other. That's very nice. And you already answered uh, one of the following questions that I was going to ask you. So thank you for that. No, that's great. We can go with the flow. Don't worry about it. Um, so then this will be the last question that I have for you. Um, because one thing that I, I mean, I think you were one of the people who really impacted my philosophy of how I wanted to manage my team. Uh, because you did that training with us last year when I was in the previous AI team. Um, and I remember going through the report that you're talking about and like mapping out Um, that approach with my team leaders. And I've, I've been always trying to do that. But one thing that I remember from the beginning of my experience that was hard is um, how do I unlearn those biases that have been like, you know, um, affecting how humans work for thousands and thousands of years, like those core beliefs of uh, the weakness focus approach of like, you know, being dissatisfied with a kind of work that is different from mine um, or not having the patience because uh, people are, you know, not fulfilling the expectations. Um, and and I guess like it, for me, it was always a game of mindfulness and like being aware and like getting feedback to improve it. But I just wanted to know from your side, like um, beyond learning and uh, gaining the tools, how can we unlearn the beliefs that we have from before? Um, to make sure that we are faithful to those plans and um, knowledge that we are gathering and trying to implement. That's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's really, really hard. And um, as you said, you know, it's it's a whole system that's at play that has shaped shaped us to be weakness focused. I think anywhere in the world, um, the primary education system, the university education system, the high school education system, they're all sort of shaped the same way and they're shaped on helping helping sort of triage students into different streams, you know, like the smart kids go this way and the not smart kids go this way. And, and I'm using smart and not smart, obviously with air quotes around them, because I don't believe in that. But, um, you know, I think naturally as humans, we have this, this negativity bias. We, we tend to give greater weight to negative events than positive ones. Um, and then we have this whole system that's been impacting us and, and our view of what we consider professional, what we consider employable, what we consider, you know, the right and wrong way of doing things. So I think one way to start is on the individual side, right? So um, recognizing your own negativity bias and when how it shows up, you know, are you paying a lot more attention to the conflict that you had with one of your team members? Or are you looking at all of the positive interactions that you had that day? with other people on your team or with members or with whoever it might be, right? What are you putting more weight on? What's what's occupying more space in your mind? I think recognizing how your strengths show up in action um, and reflecting on how they show up and then how they help you be really good at what it is that you do rather than uh, focusing on maybe where your gaps might be, right? So as it, it, the role of MCP is really, really challenging and um, it's one that expects you to be everything to everyone, And here I am saying that the strengths-based approach uh, helps you let go of some of that that notion that you have to be everything to everyone, right? Um, so I think recognizing how your own strengths show up and then recognizing how the strengths of people around you show up. So even if it's not necessarily people on your team, but maybe people on your advisory boards or some of your members, how do they have strengths that can help 
help you or help complement your strengths and help you be greater at what it is that that you do. You know, and even if you don't use the language of Clifton strengths, it doesn't have to be this methodology that you use, but asking people, you know, what it, what is it that you're really good at? What are your talents? Um, and and helping them identify their own talents um, and then how they can complement your own. I think, you know, uh, organizationally, I think there's things that you can do as, as an MCP or, you know, for ISEC as an organization that can do to, um, to break down some of those systems that exist. Um, and, and I can't believe I, I'm saying this because as an ISICR, I was all about the, the systems and the processes and the rules, but I think, you know, recognizing where the rules aren't helping us and where they're maybe getting in our way of, um, of being a more strengths-based organization, I think, uh, can be a useful reflection to engage in. Um, and I think, then setting up processes or, or rules that give people more space to be who they are um, and to engage with their strengths day to day in a way that reflects their own talents, right? And in a way that truly celebrates that diversity that exists um, within the organization. I think that those are a couple ways to start recognizing that it is, you know, it's a long game for sure. It's a long-term uh, thing that we need to look at in, in, in changing this weakness-focused approach into a truly strengths-based one. But as uh, cliche as it sounds, it, it does start with the individuals, right? So recognize what it is that you can do as an individual um, to to flip that mindset in yourself. And then I think that will have ripple effects uh, across the organization as well. Yeah, I definitely think so too. And 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 even if it's so foreign for us, at least I do I do believe that everyone here in this podcast has that intention intention that they would want to see an Isaac that is led based on strengths and they would want to see their teams being in the way that you were describing them. Um so hopefully this was a helpful episode. I don't know if you have anything else that you would want to add, uh some tips or tricks or anything, uh any last words for the MCPs? No, just um, thank you for having me. And I, I really encourage the MCPs to explore this if it's something that you're interested in. Um, and yeah, always happy to connect with people on the topic of strengths-based leadership. So that's an open invitation for folks. Amazing. I hope, yeah, I, I do hope that people approach you and have those conversations. I know Luis is also going to be listening to this episode um, because she's very into the topic as well. And that's it. Thank you so much, Emily. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening to us today. 